Amen. I'm going to begin tonight with a story. <clears throat> this is a true story. Tammy and I have been married, oh, mate, less than a year. And uh, we had a guest speaker at our church. And we went to a church called Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church that was over on 8th and Slide. It was a charismatic Baptist church. And uh, the Holy Spirit got loose in there. And uh, I mean, one Sunday morning there was a tongue and uh, the doors began to fly open. And the next Sunday it wasn't quite as full, but the people were there for, for, for good. And so we were, we were at that church for a, while, for a long time. Tammy grew up in the church and I'd been there for a couple of three years. And that's uh, <clears throat> where I met Tammy and where we got married. Anyway, so in, in the in the in the uh, the spring or summer of of 1977, we had a guest speaker in our church, and our guest speaker's name was Chuck, and he was a guy that was much older than than we were. In fact, we thought he was ancient probably in those days, but we were. She was in her late teens; I was in my early twenties, and so uh, Chuck came to our church and and he spoke on a Sunday night. He didn't speak on Sunday morning; he spoke on a Sunday night, and so. Uh, he talked for a while. I don't exactly remember that sermon, but after the service was over, <clears throat> Tammy and I went to him, and we said, "Hey, Chuck, you want to come to our house and eat?" I mean, I was twenty-one. No, I was twenty-two by this time. She was nineteen, and I just—we don't understand anything about protocol. We just said, "Hey, Chuck, you want to come to our house and eat?" And so he turns to the pastor and he says something to him, and he says, "Yes, I would love to." So Chuck gets in our car, it was a 19, this was in 77, and we had a 1968 Chevrolet Impala, and I think we made him ride in the back seat, I'm not sure, but Chuck got in our car and came to our apartment, and somehow, other people that we knew, other young couples like we were, other young couples got wind of the fact that Chuck was coming to our house, and we were, and we were giving sandwiches away, and so they came... <laughs> And so they came to our house, and there were probably there were probably thirteen people counting Chuck at our house, and so mostly married couples, some that were engaged, and so they came to our house, and and as we were in this little a little apartment over off of forty something in, in in University, uh, we were we were in in our apartment, and Chuck was there, and Tammy Tammy said we're having we're having sandwiches and apple pie because she was going to bake an apple pie while he was there, and so he came and. So we're sitting around, and, and everybody's young except for him. Now, he wasn't ancient, really, but, you know, we were just young kids, so we didn't really know how old he was. He's probably younger than I am now. But he came, And so he, we started talking to him, and somebody asked him a question about the end times. So Chuck stands up. I think we are through eating sandwiches by that time. So Chuck stands up, and he asks us if we had our Bibles. And everybody grabbed a Bible. We had several at our house, and we, were, we loaned them. And so Chuck begins to teach out of the book of Revelation for the next three hours. Wow. Now, now here's the cool thing. Chuck didn't read a Bible. He quoted the Bible. We're reading it, and he knew exactly what it said. And he would say, if you turn over to this chapter and these verses, and you turn over to here and these verses, and, and then he tied some other scriptures into those things, and I mean, it was one of the most amazing evenings we ever had in our life that, that Chuck came to our house and taught us about the end times. Well, this t beginning tonight, a movie is opening here in, in the Lubbock theaters. It's called Jesus Revolution. And uh, Chuck is in the movie. Oh, yeah, he's the pastor of the movie, in the movie. His name was Chuck Smith. 
Hmm. He was the pastor and he was the founder really of the Jesus movement in California and Calvary Chapel. I mean, he was the founder of Maranatha Music. But Chuck was in our house this whole time and we're just young kids, but we just, we just fed on the word as he taught it to us because he loved kids. He loved hippies because those are the people that came to his Presbyterian church, I believe it was. And they, and a lot of the people in the Presbyterian church didn't come back when the hippies came. But Chuck, because he was willing to, to, to open his heart to the Lord, to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to all these things, God started a revolution in America and, and really all over the world because he was willing to open his heart to hippies in Southern California. And they later went to San Francisco and more stuff happened there with those hippies. But Tammy and I, just so you'll know, Tammy and I, Chuck Smith was in our house, our apartment, and taught us for three hours. And it was an amazing time. And so we're looking forward to getting to see the movie uh, at the theater. I think it opened up tonight. So it's, 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 it was, we were, we were, we saw the, the previews of the movie and Tammy said, when Kelsey Grammer was the preacher in the movie, Tammy said, you think that's Chuck Smith? And then they said, it, they call his name Chuck Smith on there. And we said, we know him. We know him. Uh, Chuck Smith's in heaven. So he probably remembers us now while he's in heaven, but not while he was on earth after that night. And so, so it was, it was really a cool, cool thing for us to, to get to meet Chuck Smith. And so sometimes I think, man, I am glad that I'm a Christian. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a Christian. I mean, just think of it. Have you been reading or listening to some of the news lately that's not bad? There are winds of revival blowing across our country. I mean, it, it, it's like, it's a wonderful thing. You know, the, the revival in, in, uh, that was happening in, in Wilmore, Kentucky, that, that closed the school down for two weeks, they, they had to end it for the 24-hour session of it because they couldn't have school and they had, had to take care of things. I mean, hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people were pouring into this town of like 13,000 or 30,000, remember how big that little town is, and they're coming to this revival because they just want to see it and touch it. Well, now it's, it's moved to evenings only, and they're only letting you come if you're between the ages of 18 and 26, I think. They don't want any old people there because God has just poured himself out, and there's no room for them. I mean, the people are just coming to revival. It spread to other campuses throughout the United States. Tammy read to me an article this yesterday or day before, and they listed these, these universities where kids were getting born again, and she, listed, she read to me this list of universities. One of them was Georgia. One of them was Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. And so we can see that, that the winds of revival are beginning to blow. And so this could, be, this could be one of the most exciting times we'll ever live. I mean, I keep thinking about being a part of the charismatic renewal. I've said this to you many times. I want to live through two of them. We lived through the charismatic renewal. We saw the things that God did. Isn't it going to be great as we live through another one? And see our children and our grandchildren experience the presence of God like we did when we were young people and we saw, we saw all those things. I mean, it's just blowing. Our prayers are being answered. Amen. Praise God. It's an exciting time to be alive. Exciting time to be alive. And, I, you know, we're, we're just, we, we, we heard about miracles tonight in this room. We're going to see more and more miracles, not because we deserve them but because the blood of Jesus was shed and because we have access to the Father he will honor his word as we as we as we lock into it 
I remember in the 70s, we were ignorant of his word. We didn't really know anything about his word. But he still healed us and he still started our old jalopies. He still did all those things for us because we fell in love with him. And he thought, they don't know anything. Just go ahead and do it for them. And now he's asking us to walk by faith because that's what the scripture says. Now, those kids in Wilmore, Kentucky, and at Texas Tech and, and all over, he's probably not asking them to do that yet because they're not potty trained yet, okay? And so they're getting born again and getting their lives right with God. And, and so they're gonna be, you're going to hear miracles, and you're going to wonder, well, why don't I get that kind of miracle? He's going to say, because you already, you're already potty trained. You know what to do. You know how to believe me. You know how to fellowship with me. You know what to do. And so I believe these, these, these are exciting times. And I was thinking, aren't you glad that God, the Father, is your Father? Yes. I mean, especially if you didn't have a good Father here, it's good to know that God, the Father, is our Father. I mean, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Man, doesn't that just rise up inside of you and you begin to pray and you just begin to cry out to Abba, Father. I mean, He's our Father. Uh, and Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, Abba <clears throat> doesn't exactly mean Daddy. A lot of people are flippant when they hear that word and they, they go, Daddy, Daddy God. That isn't really what it means. It's actually more respectful than the word Father. Okay, it's a very respectful term that Jewish boys had for their fathers. Now, it's, a, it's an intimate term because you only called your own dad Abba. But Abba, Father, He is our Father. The Bible says, Beloved, now we're the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now we're the children of God. It says in Ephesians 1, 5, Having predestined us, predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Think about it. God wants you to be His child. It wasn't like God looked down from heaven and said, Okay, I guess we've got to take that one. Not one time did He think that. It's according to the good pleasure of His will. God wills to be your Father. He wills to have intimacy, intimacy with you. See, a lot of us, we don't, a lot of people don't understand that God is our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. He's not limited by what our earthly Father is limited by. He's our Father. I love that. The devil has tried for a long time to steal that from you. Remember when Jesus was baptized and He came up out of the water, what did the Father say? He said, This is my Son indicating that He's the Father. Jesus began to preach. And, and before, before Jesus began to preach, the devil came and He said to him, If you're the Son of God. What was He trying to do? He was trying to rob Jesus of the revelation of His Father. Trying to steal it from Him. Well, it didn't work that way. So then Jesus began to preach. And then in His preaching, He kept talking about, My Father. My Father. My father. Then, he, then he, he went on to say, finally, your father in heaven. Your father in heaven. And then he taught us to pray. How do you teach us to pray? Our father, 
which art in heaven. God is our Father. That changes everything. You're not a beggar. For you to go before your Father as a beggar is an insult to who He is for you. You're not a beggar. You're not a slave. You're not an alien. You are a child of the living God. And we're welcomed into the presence of the King who is our Father. And He welcomes us. So, I think, man, we ought to just praise Him all the time. And He understands us better than anybody else. He knows how we're made. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our, our, our limitations. He understands all those things about us. He understands you're a human being living in a human body. And he doesn't have a problem with that. He actually is okay with it. He created you that way. Mm-hmm. Now there will come a time when we'll be with him. We won't be limited by this flesh. And we'll be in his presence all the time. Isn't that great? Oh, wow. That God is our father. And the father loved the world so much that he sent his son. Wow, and that Jesus became the curse for us. That we might have the blessing of Abraham. That's a good introduction, huh? Amen. Let me read you my passage of Scripture tonight. It really has nothing to do with what I just said. Luke chapter 5 is where I'm going to, where I'm going to read from tonight. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 1. And this is a story that you all know from the Scripture. It's not a story, it's a true thing that happened. It says, And it came to pass that his people pressed upon him, talking about Jesus, pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draft. And Simon, answering unto him, said, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net." And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so they began to sink. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished at all that were, and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. So also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. That is a fantastic passage of Scripture, I think. It must have been wonderful to hear Jesus preach and teach the Word. Don't you think, if you could have just heard Jesus preach and teach it. Well, we have his Word in the Bible, but he, it would have been fun to just listen to Jesus. Listen to what he had to see. I found out over, over the years, people really do want to hear the Word. They want the real deal, not just... Some churches have this thing where it's all rules and regulations and you know whether or not you wear the right clothes or wear the right hat or, or whether you do or don't wear makeup, all these rules, people, they, they have all that stuff going on. Then on the other side, there are, there, there are churches that are filled with non-life-giving, wordless, feel-good nonsense that, 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 that help people. It feels good like Vaseline, 
but it doesn't train people how to fight the fight of faith, how to win the fight in the Spirit. And so people want, I don't know if they want it as much as they need the Word of God. They need to know what it says. The people in this story pressed on Jesus. They pressed to hear it. They leaned on Him. They were jammed together so they could hear the Word. And Jesus is getting pushed further and further back. And so, so he's, he's trying to find a way so He can preach to them so they can hear it. In Jesus' time, religious people did not like the Bible, didn't like the Word of God. They didn't like hearing Jesus preach it because it presented a challenge to them. The regular people loved it. Let me ask you a question before I go further. What do you think Jesus was preaching about? <clears throat> well, we talked last time about that there's an inv- he was talking about this invasion of the kingdom that was at hand that they could reach out and take. That's part of what he preached. He also was probably preaching what he preached in, in Luke chapter 4 when he, when he talked about the anointing was upon him to preach the gospel to the poor and, and bring healing to the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to the bruised, and, and proclaiming the year of God's jubilee when their free favors of God profusely abound. Those are probably the kinds of sermons he was preaching. Or like the one on the mount. How did he start that one? Blessed. He started talking about blessed because all these people's lives, all they had heard was how bad they were. How many laws they had broken and how many law, more laws they probably needed just to get it straight. And they'd heard from, 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 from their religion all these things about it. But Jesus came preaching good news because he came preaching the gospel. So he's there. They're pressing on him. He, hears a, he sees a couple of boats. He gets into one and to see if he can use it as a pulpit. So that's what he's there for. The fishermen were cleaning. They were mending their nets, which is a very important task. Okay, if you've been, a, I've never been a fisherman, but these guys, they understood how important it was because the nets had to be cleaned, they had to be mended, or they would become brittle, and they would be unable to hold the fish. So they had to be done every time they finished their fishing. They had to clean and mend the nets to make sure that they were okay. So Jesus gets in one of the boats, and he asks Peter, or Simon, to thrust out a little that's the beginning of what he asked him to do, thrust out a little. And I thought, well, you know what? A lot of people are like that with Jesus. Jesus says, thrust out a little, and they're okay with a little. It's okay, Jesus, I'll go a little here. I'll... Do you remember the first time you raised your hands in church? A little. I mean, you went up a little at a time, right? And then there was that one time when you finally just went all for it. You just put them all up. But a lot of people thrust out a little. And all they want is a little. It's kind of like, how much Jesus do you want? Like going to the gas station when we were kids. How much? I need, I, need, I need 25 cents worth of regular. A lot of people want 25 cents worth of Jesus. They don't want to fill up. They just want enough to thrust out a little. A lot of people begin that way. They go out a little, and that's as far as they ever get. They just want a little. A lot of people, they get salvation. They get born again, and that's all they ever get. They, they, they think that's it. They really don't want any more than that. And then when they hear about people that are praying in tongues or they hear about people that are raising their hands, they don't want that. And it's got to where you can raise your hands pretty much any place now. That's kind of accepted. But they, they don't want you to pray in tongues. They don't even hear if you pray in tongues. Then there are those who get the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. And, that's a, and, and they think that's all you got. No, there's more than that. Yeah. I mean, we get, that's just a little, folks. We didn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit just so we could pray in tongues. There's a lot to do. If, if, if that was it, the moment we said the first thing in tongues, we could have just gone on to heaven and we wouldn't have had to stay here all this time. All right? So there's more to do. We don't need to thrust out just a little. There's got to be more. 
for revival to come to this city, to this nation, preachers and teachers have got to find more. There's got to be more. For, for, for revival to come in our city, our nation, church people, Christian people have to find more. Thank God there's more and that we don't have to settle for just a little. I tell you, God wants more than just a little. I mean, I'm going to think that the majority of Christians that I talk to, not in this room, but other Christians that I talk to, are frustrated with their walk with God. Have you ever talked to any of those people? They're frustrated. I mean, they, they, have, they have very little success in prayer. Even though we say stuff like, prayer changes things. How much do we pray? That's a pretty good question, huh? If I believed, if I believed that if I prayed, God was listening to me, I think I'd pray a lot. I, mean, I would think that, but people are frustrated by that. They're frustrated. They're, they're frustrated about the Word of God. They're frustrated. They don't spend time in the Word. You ask them, "Is the Bible God's Word?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you read it? I don't have time. I listen to the preacher. Now, see, people are frustrated. They're frustrated about those things. Christianity is tough and not a lot of fun for most Christians. Remember Karl Marx one time said, I'd become a Christian if it weren't for the Christians. Because Christians, he saw them as sad, frustrated, mad people because they couldn't go out and drink and dance. And so he saw that and he didn't want to be that. It ought to be exciting and fulfilling to walk with God by faith. Amen. We ought to be the happiest people around. Amen. I mean, when we face the things we face, we ought to be excited because now God gets to do something. Amen. Amen. Look at this story. Peter says, we toiled all night. We toiled all night. Jesus said, we'll launch out in the deep. Because after he finished his sermon, he's still got some things he wants to do. He says, he says launch out in the deep for a draft. Launch... Is, is the same word as thrust, and it means to, to lead up on, to put out to sea, to return. It means to move or set into motion with force. It means to put into action, to set or start someone on a particular course of action. So here, this is, we're going to make this personal with us. Jesus said, Peter, let's set your life in motion by a forceful demonstration. Let's put you on a different course of action for your life. So now here's the deal. Peter's a fisherman. <clears throat> Jesus is a preacher who was a carpenter. Okay? So he, the carpenter preacher is telling the fisherman what to do. On this particular lake, most of the time people fished at night because it was too hot to fish during the day. The fish went to the bottom during the day, and so they fished all night because that's when they mostly fished. <coughs> Okay, they weren't running from somebody. They fished at night because the fish in the daytime went down in, in most, most of the seasons of the year. So it's too hot to fish in the daytime. So they're way down to avoid the heat. That's true with almost any lake you go to. If it's, if it's hot outside, the fish don't stay near the surface. All right, so the, the crowd had been making lots of noise. The, there's a throng of people there. They're making noise. Jesus is yelling. And so that probably would have, would have frightened the fish away as well. And so... Jesus, you know, Jesus is there and, 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 and uh, you know, Peter is saying, well, okay, Jesus, I mean, what do, you, what do you even know about this? 
That's like you saying, I know what the Bible says, but Jesus tells him. He says, he says, I want you to launch out. So there are lots of excuses as to why what Jesus tells us to do won't work. Aren't there? I mean, it's like us. Much of the time, what he says makes no sense to the natural or carnal mind. In fact, almost every time it makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to do a lot of things. I mean, but we need to obey. He's ready to set the course of our life with powerful demonstration of his own doing. When we talk about destiny, destiny is from here forward. If we're still here in this room, if we're still breathing, if we can still fog the mirror when we blow on it, we still have destiny. There's still something to do. There's still something to accomplish. And so Jesus wants to, wants to thrust us into that. All right? He's designed something for us from this point forward. Peter said, We've toiled all night and caught nothing. <laughs> hmm, I've been there before, have you? Toil. The word toil means to grow weary, tired, exhausted with toil or burdens or grief. To labor with wearisome effort. The Amplified says, We toiled all night exhaustingly and caught nothing. Peter's saying, We did the fishing our way, the way we've always done it. We're exhausted. We're burdened with our failure, grieved by our effort to produce nothing. We've been toiling in our own efforts all night, caught nothing, and now it's time to go to bed. <laughs> we've been out here all night. It hadn't worked. I mean, in addition, more than that, they're already cleaning the nets. They're doing that. Does the Bible, what does the Bible tell us about toil? What does it talk about? Now, we're not fishermen. It's okay to work, but toil is under the curse. Luke chapter 12, verse 27 says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not. They spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The scripture says in Hebrews 4.11, says, Let us labor, therefore. The word labor is the same Greek word as toil. Let us toil, therefore. Oh, that sounds like we're supposed to toil. To enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Only toil we have is to believe. To believe what he said. To rest in what he said. Want revival in your life? Believe Him. No matter what you feel like. No matter what it looks like. No matter what they say. Our job is to walk by faith in what God has said. Four times the Scripture says, The just shall live by faith. Not have spurts of faith. Not have intermittent experiences of faith. Not to have exciting times of faith but to walk by faith every day all day all the time our labor is to rest in the fact that god that whatever god has promised he will do no matter what it says on cnn no matter what it says at your workplace or at the, at walmart we walk by faith and not by sight. Why would we think? Why, 
Why would Peter think that he's smarter than Jesus in the Word of God? Because he's ignorant of the Word of God. That's why. We must have this relationship. It says we toiled all night. The word night here is literally is midnight. Midnight is the time when darkness is the darkest. It's the most difficult time to see. They toiled all night. That's to labor in the flesh is what he's talking about. The scripture is trying to point that out to us. It's toiling in our own abilities. And, we'll, and it, it will never accomplish anything for God. It makes sense, doesn't it? Sometimes some, it makes sense to do this. It makes sense. If, if, if every church in town has Sunday school, maybe we should. It makes sense. Not if God didn't say so. Amen. So we we got to get this. Toiling on our own, in our own understanding with, without regard for the word or the promise of God is toiling in the flesh. Thankfully, Peter did say, but at your word, we will lower the net again. All right. He didn't understand it. His job was simply to obey it. Now, I'm going to point out something that I've heard taught many, many, many times over the years. When you read this passage of Scripture, I'm going to read verses 4 through 6 again. Talking about Jesus. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out of the deep, let down your... If you read this in the King James, if you read it in the Texas Receptus, which is uh, maybe the most authorized Greek rendering of this, or you read it in the Latin Vulgate, it says it this way. Launch into the deep and set down your nets, plural, for a, dra- for a draft. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. That's what it says in the Vulgate. That's what it says in the Texas Receptus. Exactly. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their net break. Now that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Jesus said, let down your nets for a draft of fish. And Simon says, okay, okay, okay. I think he's trying to just humor Jesus. And he's like, okay, boys, we got that old ratty, old ratty one over there. Just don't, we don't ever fit, use that one anymore. Let's throw that one in. But we're not throwing, we just cleaned these. We're not throwing them back in there. So they get there and they get on that boat. Jesus tells them to launch out of the deep. They had a ratty old net they threw out into the water. Why do you think it broke? In John chapter 21, they're fishing. John chapter 21, they're fishing. They get all those fish. That net didn't break. This one broke. They threw out one stinking net. And Jesus said, throw out your nets. You've got to give it all to Jesus. I mean, revival is going to come when God's people make a choice that says, everything you want, Jesus, you can have of me. When we get rid of all of that stuff, all the religion, all of the stuff that says, well, now we've always done it this way, this is the way we do it here. And just do it the way he says do it with everything we have. Ooh, man, that's really good. He says, I want you to go out in the deep for a draft. Draft means a catching of fish. A haul of fish. Jesus does, does not go fishing. He goes catching. Because he said, we're going to catch fish. We're going to go out for, for a draft of fish. He's not going for minnows. He's going for a haul. What Peter doesn't understand is that when Jesus says this, every fish in the lake is on the way to that boat right now. Because at the word of God, the fish at least understand and respond to the word of God. 
I mean, they're on the way to the boat. I mean, Peter doesn't understand. That's why he throws out one little net, one thing. Jesus, he said it. That settled it. We're going out for a catch. We're not just going to go out and see if we can catch something. We're going out for a catch. So he tells him to go deep. And it's daytime. You're not supposed to do that. That doesn't work. Have you ever told God it doesn't work that way here? That don't work, God. That don't work. I've tried that before, God, and it doesn't work. Hmm. Jesus says, go to the deep. It's daytime. I mean, it seems like it's crazy. But you know what? A lot of things seem crazy when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, when Jesus speaks to you. And He said, go into the deep. The word deep, the Greek word is bathos, which means profundity, extent, mystery. The word profundity means great depth, depth of intellect, feeling, or meaning, something profound or obtruse. Profound means, I'm just going to get you a series of definitions here. Profound means um, situated at, extending to, or coming from great depth, coming as if from the depths of one's being. Profound concept, penetrating beyond what is superficial or obvious. Here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, we're going to set in motion that which penetrates beyond the superficial. Wouldn't it be awesome tonight? to have a relationship with Jesus that was beyond the superficial. Wouldn't it be awesome to, to have something that penetrated deeper than ever before? Now, I told you last time that Jesus didn't call us to go deep. He called us to go out. And we do ministry-wise. But in our relationship with Him, we have to go deep before we can go out. We have to go deep. I mean... Jesus is calling us to more than superficial. He wants more than surface religion. He wants us to go deep, deep with Him. Not just about me getting my felt needs taken care of. Not just about me getting my mess cleaned up, but me getting to you, God. No matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, getting to you. I mean, listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But it is written, I have not seen or heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit. Listen, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. That's where the Spirit wants to take us, to a deep place, to the deep things of God. Oh man, see, only in the Spirit can we get them. But we've got to go deep to get them. Psalm 42, 7 says, Deep calleth unto deep. See, we can have access to deep things, but we've got to go deep. We've got to call for them. We've got to want the deep. Luke 6, 48, Jesus speaking, He said, He, the man who hears and obeys the voice, obeys the word, is like a man which built his house and digged deep and laid a foundation on a rock. When the flood arose, the steam beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. When you get deep, you won't be shaken by things. Daniel 2.22 says, He, talking about God, revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with Him. We've got to go deep. God wants us to be deep. That's where He's calling us. He wants, to join us, wants us to join Him in the deep. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're probably going to have to do it in the daytime. In the time that doesn't make sense to you in the time that seems like you've lost everything, 
in the time that seems like there, that there, there's, no, there's no, nothing you can do to recover. In the time when it seems like that, 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 that all is lost, God's going to call you to go deep with Him. I mean, it might make more sense to go another time. It might make more sense to, 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 to do it this way or that way. But we've got to go deep and we've got to do it when He calls us and we've got to do it when it makes no sense to us, but when He says it, no matter what He says. Oh, man. The daytime is right now for most of us. We want revival. We want it in our country. We want it in this room. We want God to move on us. I mean, the Scripture says that we are children of the day. We operate in the daytime. It says you're children of the light and children of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We don't have to wait until night. We don't have to wait until it seems right. We do because God tells us to do it. So what happens in this story? You know the story. He went deep with Jesus in the daytime when he wasn't supposed to. He's out there with Jesus. First thing that happens, he gets supernatural abundance. I mean, all of a sudden, this failure of a night of working in the flesh turns into fantastic success by doing what Jesus said to do, by simply obeying the Word of God. What wasn't possible in the toil of the flesh was supernaturally supplied in obedience to the Word. I mean, they had so many fish, they had to call for these, their partners to come on their boat. And the Scripture says both boats were filled with fish. I mean, we'll always have our need met if we'll just go deep with Jesus. He'll take care of us, and we'll bless other people along the way because we went deep with Him. I mean, all of a sudden, not only that, Peter got a revelation of sin in his life. This is an amazing story. I mean, we cannot hold on to our sin. Those secret things we have, those attitudes we have, I don't think any of you are are walking in overt sin, but I know there are attitudes we have. There are things that we complain about. There are things that we do. We cannot go deep and keep those. We've got to let them go. They've got to go. They've got to get out. <coughs> Excuse me. He'll show us along the way the things we've got to dismiss, the things that we thought were okay. I mean, deep living is different. It's more accountable than living in the shallow. I love this. It says, Peter fell at Jesus' knees. Have you ever thought about that one? Why didn't he fall at his feet? Because the boat was full of fish. He couldn't get to his feet. He could only get to his knees. And so he fell at his knees and he said, I'm a sinful man. Because, just, I think about the, the stink of all those fish and the boat is full. And he just gets down, on his, he gets on his knees and he got to Jesus' knees. I mean, he had, he had to either kick Jesus off the boat or he had to change. He chose to change. The Bible says Peter was astonished. No joke. Astonished. That means to be dumbfounded, stupefied, amazed. <clears throat> the Amplified says gripped with bewildering amazement allied to terror. What would you think? I mean, it, it, some, some of the things in the spirit will scare you just a little bit. And you'll be amazed. I remember one time as a, as a young man before I met Tammy. Well, I think I'd met her by then. But we were praying all night at the church one night. This little church over on Slide Road. It's now a Lutheran church, I think. But we had a couple of Baptocostal, young Baptocostal preachers that founded this church. And I was going there. And 
we stayed up all night to pray. And at about three in the morning, the presence of God came in the building. And I'm not the only one. I'm going to promise you there were like 12 of us. And we all saw this light in a hallway where it was dark. And it scared us bad. I mean, we're just all young people. We had never seen anything like this before. We were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And all, we had been Baptists, maybe. I wasn't ever a good Baptist. I was mostly heathen. But we were, <laughs> we were terrified that God was going to walk in the room because this light was so bright and it was blinding. And the door opened a little bit. I'll never forget. The door opens a little bit. And the guy who was the pastor, I mean, I'm, I'm like, 18 and the pastor was like 24 or something anyway so the light the door opened a little bit we were oh no he's coming in and we just buried our heads in the ground and then the light went away anyway peter it says he was gripped with bewildering amazement allied to terror i mean i understand what happened there have you ever been there? has that ever happened to anybody here i mean you, man the lord is more awesome than you we can ever imagine him being when he operates outside of our normal church experience, it's going to be different than anything we've ever seen. I mean, this demonstration of Jesus' identity in the deep was absolutely amazing. Not just to Peter, but everybody out there. And at that moment, Jesus figured, Peter figured out one very important thing. Jesus is Lord. And he figured it out. I mean, his destiny now is at hand. I mean, here... In the deep, Jesus can tell you what He wants to tell you. He can whisper it to you. I mean, as we go forward, He told Peter, He told James and John, that now catch men instead of fish. The word catch means take alive, take men. You see, as we follow Him to profound depths, He'll show us mysteries of the next step. He'll show us what needs to happen from here on. It's not enough to stay in the shallow. It's not enough. It's going to take more than where we've been so far. Amen is what should have happened just then. We must go deep. Jesus wants more than superficial Sunday-only religion. He wants to really, really bless our lives. And it's not going to happen in the shallows. Oh, there'll be blessing there, but not like He really wants to do. Man, we can't be defeated in the shallow. I'm not talking about being weird and spooky. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about always having to... with the presence. I'm talking about being a normal human being that's been deep with Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. We don't have to be weird. We don't have, to, we don't have any of that. We need to launch out for a catch. We need to be faithful to what He says to do. I mean, it's possible, and you know this, to be a Christian and never go deep. But that's not the Christian experience you want. We need to take the time to listen to what He says. Are you ready to go deep? Yes. Amen. Amen. We have to be ready to go deep. Yes. 
Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for the invitation to go deep. I thank you, Jesus, that you're in our boat. And that you're telling us, you're inviting us to go deep. Now, I pray, God, that we just have the courage to do what you said with all the nets so that what can happen to us is all that you've designed. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight. I thank you tonight for what you're speaking to each individual's heart in this room, showing us how and where the deep is that we need to be. I give you praise for it. I give you honor tonight. In Jesus' name, Father, amen.